Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally, occasionally go off topic. My name is Scott Terry, I am a musician and I am an author of the book Things You Won't Believe About Music, which is available on Amazon. It's full of facts, anecdotes about the weird and wonderful world of music and you can check it out. But now is not the time for that because today on the podcast, very excited to bring back the man who was essentially the very first guest on the podcast, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. This completes the trilogy, but, so the trilogy is complete, but it's still part three of many because there's so much to talk about with Glenn. A fantastic episode. Out of the three, I would say this is the best one, and they've all been great. I had no idea that Glenn Matlock was such a big Alex Harvey fan. Now, I've always heard that Johnny Rotten from the Pistols was a big fan, but I think maybe subconsciously I've always been frightened to address it just in case Glenn Matlock was saying, oh, I don't know who Alex Harvey is, and then I'd be a little bit gutted, you know? But he's a massive fan, and I was so delighted that he talks about it, and he had such a good knowledge of the band. He'd seen them so many times. So that was a big thing about today's episode that I was so thrilled about. We talked about Alex Harvey for a, for a good bit, um, and we talked about a bunch of things, great stories about the Pistols, Amazing stories about where Glenn stays, because it seems to be surrounded by a who's who of the music business. Absolutely brilliant. And as you can hear from the episode as well, Glenn and I are already talking about doing another one, um, and there's a whole host of possibilities, but just such a nice guy and great stories. I mean, essentially, he was in the Sex Pistols, and they're one of the most legendary bands of all time. You can't have a timeline of the history of popular music and not reference the Sex Pistols and their impact. And of course, Glenn was right at the heart of that writing songs such as Pretty Vacant, God Save the Queen, and so on. And the music's brilliant. I mean, the music was so, so good. It wasn't just the the cultural or political impact that they had. Songs are great. Uh, Johnny Rotten's voice is really good. Um, And yeah, I don't even need to tell you. I mean, it's the Sex Pistols for crying out loud. And like I said, Glenn Matlock, right at the heart of it. I'll shut up now. Let's get on with this. Now, before I tell you, um, or let me tell you, rather, I I made a mistake in this one, okay? I record these on Zoom, <clears throat> excuse me, and I went onto the Zoom, I'd put my AirPods in, okay, so it looks a little bit better than having the big pilot headphones, but I forgot to select my microphone on Zoom, so it's the audio from the AirPods, so that was a little bit disappointing, so apologies for that, if that kind of doesn't make the experience as good, because again, you invest in a microphone, you want it to be as good as possible, you take it really seriously, and then you make a silly mistake like that, so at the end of the day, you could take the drummer out of the house even though he's not leaving the house to record the podcast but you can't make him record a podcast i don't know what i'm saying let's listen to glenn matlock by the one and only i would say qpr's most famous football fan um yeah, i don't I know I would say so. there's a few um famous smith jones goes down there but i haven't seen him for a little while robert elms um robert about five or six years ago, I was having a cup of tea at half time with Mick Jones, and there's this quite good looking girl was sort of looking over at us, and we thought we'd been spotted. And she, sure enough, she came over and she said, Excuse me, are you? And we thought we were going to say, Is that Mick Jones from the Clash and Grand Sex Business? Are you sure enough if that guy behind you is Bruce Welsh from the Shadows? And we looked around and it was Bruce Welsh from the Shadows. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, I'll rephrase that. QPRs. Most famous, coolest football fan, I would say. Oh, well, there you go. All right, I'll have that. I'll buy it up. 
So I, I cut you off in the middle of your cool story as well because I thought I've got the hit of the record button, so we'll need to get you to start again. You're walking around the corner shop to get bread. When was oh, this no, about half an hour ago? 45 minutes ago. I was going around the corner and get some bread because I, I actually was very pumped rock. I defrosted my freezer over the weekend because I couldn't open it. And I'm restocking it all out, restocking it. So I've got some bread to put in, you know, sliced bread you put in. And if you run out, you've always got to, you can always toast one. And I, and the two local older gay guys on the corner chatting with some woman. And Paul Weller we was talking about air cuts. And there you go. So the woman seemed to think that me and Paul had gone au natural with our hair. And not having it dyed anymore. And I just said, well, it's cheaper, basically. <laughs> so there you go. Paul Weller, a local. Well, it's interesting because, like, Weller, massive Pistols fan. Yeah, he was, but he, he didn't have to play it cool, though. No, he's, I like Paul. He's it's sort of beginner. Right? Sort of, we've been locked down coffee on the corner chums for the past year and a half when people haven't been having a go at doing this, that, and the other. Either successfully or unsuccessfully, yeah. But anyway, there's gigs on the horizon, and, and I've got a gig in Belgium, and I've got some shows, and I was just trying to see how I can get from one to the other. And I thought, oh, I go to Belgium the day before. See, this is the life of a self-employed musician. I thought we'll go to Belgium the day before because we're playing at one thirty in the afternoon at this festival. And then I just realised I've actually got a gig the night before. In near Gatwick, so I'm like, oh, so I don't know how I'm going to get around that, but I, I will. But it's like, you know, hurry up and wait, you know, or wait and then hurry up. But it's good because, as you said, the gigs are on the horizon, they're right around the corner, and there's a few around about the UK. Now, I looked on the site earlier, I know that there's, there's, there's still ones kind of penciled in, but you're going up and down the UK, and it's Glenn Matlock solo acoustic. Am I right in saying that, or have you got others with you? I am. No, I'm going to do some solo shows. I've got about a dozen that's being added to solo shows. I'm going to tell you when I'm in Scotland, but I haven't put them up online yet um, because I was trying to do it all in one fell swoop. Uh, not very new UK gig offers, except I spelled it knee, N-double-E. I don't know why that is. Um, I hope you played Cowden Beast, given that you mentioned it before we started recording. I really hope so. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not Cowden Beast. But um, where am I playing? Right, I am playing Dundee on the first of December at the Beat Generator Live, wherever that is. Second in Edinburgh, Bannermans. Good venue. Um, and I think they're going to try and add some more to that. So that's the two Scottish ones for the time being. But there'll probably be a Glasgow one as well. And there's a little gig that I do sometimes up there in um, in Four Far, actually. There's a club, is it called the A1 Club or something? This guy's got a private oh, yeah. Kind of... yeah. So maybe I'll do that as well. So, yeah. Memories are playing Scotland. I don't know if I told you this before, but I seen you play on the 2007 tour with the Pistols in Glasgow. Now you've done tons of gigs, obviously, with the Pistols on both the the reforming tours in '96 and 2007. 
I don't know if you remember individual dates. The 2007 tour was a kind of smaller one. If you get any recollection of playing the the Glasgow SEC show, but um, what memories have you got playing in Scotland? It doesn't have to do with the Pistols. It doesn't have to do with the Pistols. Um, I don't know. I, I actually did a solo thing at the Edinburgh Festival about five years ago. Now I did a week in the, the Spiegel tent in George Square, I think it was. That was fun. So I did like a spoken word and story, and I hadn't really done it much before, and. I was sort of, first night I was sort of struggling to do my 45 minutes and second night was an hour and then towards the end of the week they're sort of dragging me off. I kind of got into it. That was fun. And there was all stuff going on in in Edinburgh and I was with this young lady and he was coming to do the merch for me and she was American and the first night we went into a local pub and a bloke recognised me and she was like, you know, the barman and um, kind of went down well. <laughs> But yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed playing in, in Scotland. Played there with the rich kids. We we did that place above um, Glasgow Satellite, Satellite City. I think it was called. It was right up the top. That was like Midge's homecoming at the time. That was a mad kind of show. Um, Aberdeen, I played. Um, where did I play? Um, some place Arbroath once. That was a bit of a rub out. But there was not a lot there. Um, we played a festival with the pistols near some lock. It was really muddy and it was pouring down the rain. Yeah, it was a live at Lock Lomond 2008. I was there during the day. Yeah, Lock Lomond. It was, yeah, it wasn't Lock Ness. It was Lock Lomond. And I do remember when I was up there with the pistols when we went to meet Midge, not with the rich kids, when we went to meet Midge. Um, we went out for a drive and drove up to towards Fort William Way and had a paddle in Loch Ness just for the hell of it. And I went, oh, it's got me. Right? And Rusty went, what, what? And I said, it's a monster. And he went, oh. And then we drove back a different way, like through the, I don't know, it wasn't really the Highland, but back to Glasgow. Then we was running late, we was going to meet Midge, so there was a phone box in the middle of nowhere. And I went in to make a phone call and somebody had graffitied sex pistols. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Not me. And we played there uh, in Dundee at some teacher training college in 76 and stayed in quite a nice hotel on the banks of the Tay. And we got the overnight train up and then got there in time for breakfast. They had a fantastic sort of fishy breakfast, you know, with smoked out it and kippers and stuff. And all of a sudden, um, Frankie Vaughan came in with like a bevy of beauties for breakfast. What have you been up to? I don't know, but it's kind of funny. It's us the fledgling sex pistols, and there's Mr. Gimme the Moonlight. He didn't have his bows on, but it's funny when you're touring. You, you, you know, there's loads of other people with all different stripes. You know, sometimes you bump into rock and rollers and sometimes you bump into kind of pretty odd kind of people. But I mean, I remember being in, it's either Dublin or Belfast with the Richards. We were staying in some hotel out of the bar, we played. Then we got back to the hotel and there was a late night drink going on. And there was Andy Stewart was there, pissed as a fart, marching up and down the thing, singing Donald's Where's Your Trousers with his trousers around his ankles. 
Oh, and that was an island. Stop the fry, you know. <laughs> I also remember when we went to see Midge, he had some quite high level um, manager, Frank Silver, I think his name was. He had offices just off the Sucky Hole Street. And one of his other newer signings sat in on the meeting. And it was Billy Connolly. Nobody had heard of Billy Connolly. Well, you might have heard of Billy Connolly up there then, but we hadn't down there, and it was quite funny. <laughs> so the meeting with Midge, his manager, me, this guy, Al McDowell, who was our manager at the time, and went on to become an artistic designer in Hollywood, and did Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and was over here recently, art director in Star Wars 9, me, him, and Billy Connolly. It was funny. <laughs> Maybe this was a run at the time he was with Jerry Rafferty, you know, they had that duel thing it, on the I goal. think it was probably just after that. Right. And I think he was probably just thinking about being the comedian that we all know and love. What was that called? The Humble Bums or something like that? Right? Yeah, Humble Bums, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, see, I know my... Any, anything up to 1973, I'm all right. I'll get a bit lost after that. <laughs> uh, especially with your Scottish heritage. I'm going to combine the two things we were just talking about. We mentioned football briefly, and we were, we've been talking about Scotland. There's a little, bit of a, a little bit of a Scottish contingency that's found their way to QPR. Lee Wallace, I don't know if he's getting a game just out of the left-back, and Lyndon Dykes I, I, up front. Uh, the thing with the Rangers, I can't, by the end of one season, I know all the same, and then in the summer holidays... They change it and you spend the rest of the season learning yeah. all again. We've got Lyndon Dykes, he's Scottish. He's pretty good, although he, he missed a couple of sitters on Saturday. I've got a season ticket. I'll go with my son. We're going tomorrow night against Everton. We was there for the pre-season friendly and we beat Man United 4-2 and we was winning 4-1 at one stage. I fortunately took a picture before they got any more goals back. But, um, 4-2 finished. That, that was kind of good. Who else? And then we had some people who went to Scotland. Um, Charlie Barton, well back, he ended up playing for Celtic, I think. He went to Rangers, he didn't have such a successful Rangers. stint, yeah. Well, he's a bit up and down, and there was another defender, I forget his name, he was a bit of an old steamer. Um, oh, played Clint, for Hill. Clint Hill, yeah. yeah. But I don't think that either of them was Scottish. Yeah. No, but, um, we've got Lyndon Dykes. I said he's done. He, he nearly uh, scored in the game where we where Scotland beat England nil nil at Wembley. <laughs> Just the oh, Clinton Hill. No. Uh, um, London Dykes. Like I said, he, he was very close to scoring, even though it was nil nil. In Scotland, we celebrated like we beat you at Wembley. You know, what I mean, nil nil was a victory to us. You know. No. There you go. I never understand why Scotland struggle though, because you know you have Celtic and Rangers do quite well and getting the European Cup and stuff. And I don't know, perhaps it's because they have more foreign players, which is the same as in England. Yeah, there's a lot of the league isn't so strong, but they, individually there's some great players like down south. Obviously, Andy Robertson doing really well. Plays left back with Liverpool. Kieran Tierney, Celtic player, went down to Arsenal. Who's um, I know Arsenal are in a bad run of form, but he's a great player. But um, yeah, um, I was. I've been following you on Instagram and and seeing that you're a, a, a fan of of the old QPR, the the Rangers. Talking of Instagram, the very first time that we spoke, I remember you saying, "Oh, this social media thing, I'll never be able to get my head around it." But you're on there now. You're on Instagram. A lot of people are liking you. You're verified. 
How are you enjoying the 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 known social media? Well, it's it, it, it's kind of yeah, it's just what you do, really. I, I like sort of trying to do sort of funniest kind of things sometimes. Put a smile on people's face if something comes up. I forward it. Somebody digs out some old picture that maybe somebody hasn't seen before. Put that up. I like to have a little rail about what's going on in this country politically, which is turgid tripe. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then also, if you do all those things, I suppose in my mind, and a lot of musicians, then when you do do some shows, you just put them in and all, and you, you're already engaging with people. The only thing I find is when you put shows up, right, you know, we're playing in Edinburgh, somebody, somebody writes, oh, you're not coming to Chicago, oh, you're not coming to Adelaide in Australia, oh, you're not coming to Seoul, like, you know, and it's three out of your kind of 10,000 people who follow you. Yes. What can you do? You know, all you can do is a little bit of everything, really. You know, so that's what I did. Do a little bit. I actually found out the sad news through your Instagram about Charlie Watts, um, which is obviously oh. is absolutely devastating, devastating news. Um, obviously, you played with, with Ronnie Wood. Did you get, ever get a chance to meet Charlie? No. Do you know what? The closest I went, I met Charlie, it was kind of funny. I never actually met him, but I don't know, 15 years ago. I went to see Bill Wyman's Rhythm Aces playing at this place called The Roadhouse yep. in Covent Garden. And I wanted to see what he, what he did outside the Stones. It's probably on the cusp of him leaving the Stones, but he had a great band. You know, he had like Georgie Fame playing with him and other people and other people, you know, really, really good players. And I'm a musician, I like seeing good players. But when I was down there, I bumped into... Bob Geldof, who I like, but it's hard to get a word in edgeways. And as we're chatting and chatting and chatting, I'm sort of trying to watch the show. They finished. Bill Wyman got off the stage and walked past us to go to the dressing room because it was like a big club. Um, Geldof collared Bill Wyman. He said, Bill, 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 great show. I want to introduce you to my friend. A great friend of mine, Glenn Matlock, he used to be in the Sex Pistols, or you, you know. And the Bill Wyman went, I know who he is, <laughs> which kind of shut Geldof up. And I'm sort of like scratching my head, look round, and there was Charlie Watson anyway. <laughs> to me, because <laughs> he knew that Geldof goes a bit like <laughs> that. was it, but that was the closest I got to Charlie Watson. So um, continuing talking talk about drummers and mentioned Instagram as well. You put up a thing too, mentioning like your favourite drummers and everything. So just generally, who are your favourite drummers and, and what do you look for as a bass player in your other half of the rhythm section? What kind of qualities are you after coupled with your, your favourite drummers? Somebody you, got, somebody you get on with, really, I think. Most people, when they get to a certain stage, can kind of play all right. And if you've got some kind of rapport with them, that's kind of good. Right? You know, there's people say all oh, the best drummer in the world. I don't think there's any such thing. You know, there's the right person for the right job at the right time. Um, Charlie Watts obviously was for the Stones. I like playing with Ken Kenny Jones is great. Chris Musto plays with me. He's pretty good. Like the Slim Jim Phantoms, your mate. Um, da, 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 uh, uh, who else? I mean, I put some silly things up on Instagram. In earlier on in lockdown, 
with drummers, but it was drummers who people don't necessarily associate with being drummers. And it was Stevie Wonder. Um, who else did I put up? Um, what's his name? Sammy Davis Jr. And Patrick McGowan, who plays, there's a great movie I saw about a year or so ago called They Play at Night. And it's fantastic. It's set in Shad Thames, which is like old warehouse buildings down the side of Tower Bridge. And it used to be a real dump. And like these days, it's high-end flats, you know, for kind of yuppies and people with pots of money. I actually played in one many years ago when it was a squat, and there was squats there, and, and the guy, um, Andrew Logan, who was sort of on the scene before punk, he had a place there. We played there with the pistols, and I played at another party with the rich kids at some off-the-wall kind of thing um, when it was all, all squats. But this movie's set there, and in the movie, it's based on Othello. Richard Attenborough plays an art dealer who's got this Swiss play, play Swiss, not Swiss, not Swiss, Swiss pad over there, and he puts on a gig. And in it, Johnny Dankworth, um, take five. Um, oh, take five. Tell me. Dave Brubrecht. Dave Brubrecht's in it. Char Charlie Mingus is in it. All these actors, and they're kind of like modern jazz people. And Patrick McGoon, he does a bit where he plays the drums, and he's really good. Yeah. And it's kind of too, I think he learned to do the thing, so I've got a picture of him, him up. You know, it's just a little thing to get people talking, really. Listen, Kenny, you want to tell me, because I watched the thing the, um, earlier on, you in the faces, doing some TV thing, and you're playing Stay With Me, and you and him are just totally on it, uh, you and Kenny Jones. Um, so this is a great story. Uh, I've heard different versions of this. I want to hear it from you, how you got involved with the faces, right? Because this is a band, if I'm right in saying, you're 12 and 13 and you're you're standing in the mirror yeah, with the guitar or the bass or whatever. It was the band I used to stand in front of the mirror when I was maybe 14, presenting I could play, you know. And I ended up with... Well, when I did The Rich Kids, we ended up having Ian McLagan came down to do a keyboard session for us, and me and him got on fine, and then he... Did it to all of us, you know, fantastic. It's a real scoop. And I got them really well. We were mates, and then I lost touch with them. And then I heard him on the radio, on Radio London. He was doing like a round table thing, and I know the guys there. This is many years later. And I called him up and I said, Look, give Matt my telephone number when he finishes doing the show. And he did. And he, I didn't think he called me up, and he called me up. And I was actually going, I was on the ferry to the Isle of Wight when he called up. And um, I said, well, look, I'm out of town, but let's meet up for a copy or something. Which we did a few days later on, and he was over touring, and, um, but was living in Austin, Texas by then. I said, what are you up to? And he said, this, that, and the other. I said, what do you really want to do? He said, well, I want to reform faces. And I said, well, look, you know that I know that you know that I know, that you know, that I'm the right guy for the job. Then he did. Then I said, put a word in for us. And it didn't happen immediately. And I was trying to get Rod to do it. And he was, and he wasn't, and he was, and he wasn't. And he didn't in the end. Mick Hucknall did it. But it was great playing with those guys, you know. So, But I was, uh, recently, I went, Ronnie Wood called me up. He lives around the corner. And he said, would you 
what are you up to? And I said, not a lot. And he said, well, come do some bass playing. And it was, it's some sort of faces project. So it was Ronnie and Kenny. Ian McGlagan's not around anymore, sadly, but Jules Holland came down. And then Rod was supposed to be doing something to it. But what's happened to the stuff, I don't know. And I played on four or five tracks. So, so we'll see, you know. This little band and this little estate of yours, that's quite a band you could have yourself, Paul Weller, Ronnie Wood. You know, it's all there. No, yeah, it could do. Yeah. I mean, you could play with Paul Weller, that'd be cool. Could, do you know what? I've never played with Paul Weller, it's funny. He, he was going to come and play some guitar on my... I've, I've just made a new album, which is going to be coming out early in the new year. And I invited down for that, but we wasn't doing any live recording when he was available. Um, and then I kind of did it. And then he asked me to play on something, and then I wasn't around when he was around. So he did it. Yeah, something will come up some stage. Yeah, that'll happen, that'll happen. Actually, do you well, I, I, I texted you because uh, I threw out some questions, or I said to everybody, listen, what questions have you got for Glenn? We're talking tomorrow, so what, what do you want to know? And one of the questions was actually regarding Paul Weller, and I, I don't know if there's any truth to this. John Wood was asking, is it true that Weller knocked Sid Vicious's tooth out? Is there any truth to this, or is this nonsense? I don't know if he knocked his tooth out, but I, I, did, I wasn't there, but I did hear that Sid was winding up Paul about how much the Pistols' new song, after I left, I must say, sounded very much like a jam song, which had come out first, and Paul was having none of it, and he landed in one. So, there you go. Well, there's still time for you well have to write a song about it in this new band, who knows, but there you go. Um, just just continue with the, 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 the fan questions then. Um, the Senator, who's a great um, singer-songwriter up here, has said um, that a lot of artists over a period of time when they have a, a kind of long career in music, at some stage will maybe fall out of love with music and, and kind of lose their enthusiasm for it. Has that ever happened to you or has it just been a consistent... It, it, it comes and goes. You know, I mean, I've got some shows coming up. I'm thinking, oh, blimey, I've got to do some shows. But then when you walk on stage, you're into it, you know. So, And then by doing shows, you think, oh, when's the next one? Uh, um... Yeah, it comes and goes. It's it. I mean, it's, when you're on the crest of a wave and it's all going well, was one thing. If you feel you're struggling, which I do feel I'm struggling a bit. I mean, what I did many years ago, I'm known for, but I've done lots of many different things since then with varying degrees of success. And I, I think some of the stuff's pretty good, but people always want to hear the old stuff, you know. Does that, does that bother you? Or? Is that just that comes with the territory and you're, you're proud of that? How, how do you kind of feel about it? Does that come and go? It's kind of it's kind of galling sometimes. You know, and then what gets me is that, you know, I, I know people want to hear certain songs and I'm not going to tell you which ones, but, you know, if I went to see Bowie and he didn't play Heroes, I would have gone home disappointed. So there's certain songs you feel you have to do. And I kind of don't mind doing them for the people there in the room at the time. But these days... Everybody bloody well films it, and it goes up on the internet, and it looks like that. that's all that you do. Right. And it's annoying, you know. And then also, you know, you do a gig, and you've got a set list. Somebody next to set list, the first gig of a tour, you know, and you want to surprise people. Yeah. And then they put it up on the internet. I mean, I actually write to them and say, mate, look, keep the set list, you got it. 
take it down, please. You're spoiling it for everybody else. And they go, oh, sorry, I didn't really think. But imagine what it must be like for a stand-up comedian. Good point. You know, you, know, you can't you can't have... Um, uh, earlier on in lockdown, El Slick got stuck with me. You know, one of the very last shows I did last year, it wasn't the last one, that was a 100 Club. We played in, what's that club? In um, the bungalow in Paisley. We played there and then came down and I did, did the 100 Club the next night, which was a bit of a drive and I got a fucking speeding to get that to go on the speed of where it was <laughs> right in the first part of lockdown. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so anyway, so we did a few sort of Facebook Live things, you know, weekly ones over the course of a month. But then, of course, you can't do the same songs every time. So you've got to learn like four hours worth of material it's yeah so a stand-up comedian if somebody puts his joke with a punchline up and he's got an hour act and he's got a 10-day tour he can't have 10 hours worth of different material i mean maybe some of them can maybe somebody like bill billy Connolly could but maybe somebody's just starting out with and it spoils it so think it a lot of people in life these days don't think it through. I mean, look at the Tories. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Oh, um, no, but I never thought about that regarding the old stand-up comedy thing. It must be really hard for those guys, especially just one gag gets out. Because, you know, if, if somebody puts up a, a, a video of you playing Sex Pistols, at the end of the day, people are still going to go to that gig and they're still going to enjoy that. Albeit, you don't want to run in order of the tracks, but a stand-up comedian, that's a routine done, and it's going to get no laugh at all, so you're, you're absolutely right. It's a good point, you know? Yeah, so there you go. So until you've been there, you don't know these things. Anyway. A lot of people were kind of, and talking of that, because that, I often think, like, the amount of time that the impact that the bands, like the, the Pistols had, was, was, was astronomical. I can remember, again, the first time that we spoke, I'd said to you that, oh, listen, No Gallagher had said that he would trade all of his studio albums, maybe he's done like 10 or 15 or something like that, whatever it is, um, he would trade all of that to have Nevermind the Box as his album. He says, that's that, that that band's one statement to the world, and that, that that's just great. Now, well, from my generation... I always thought it was a bright line. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing, right? I can remember I told you that a while ago, and I says, what do you think of that? And you'd said, um, well, do you know what? As long as he pays me the royalties, right? I just thought, right, okay, I, I, I'll just move on. But looking at that band, they've, they've just, um, they're releasing a film, Neb, you know, about their Nebworth gig in the mid-late 90s, whatever. Um, and that's the biggest band of my generation by far, right? By far. And huge Sex Pistols fan. He also said in an interview, I don't know if you've seen it like a couple of weeks back, that you know, what song would you wish you'd have written? And the first song he said, oh, pretty vacant, without, without question. Um, but, are you, you, I don't know if I'm joking there, but you must be really proud of that. Uh, we, yeah, you know, I wish I'd written Waterloo Sunset, you know, so we all, we all do that. I'm annoyed with Oasis, though, do you know why? Because they brought in this whole baggy look, right? right? But I think it was only because I was a bit too daft to realise that you used to be able to get pretty much anywhere in men's, gentlemen's outfitter shops, jackets that come in short, regular and long. 
And because they brought that in, it's really hard to get the right length sleeve now. It's all the sleeves you get for orangutans, and then you've got to have it taken up. And if you have a jacket with nice buttons on it, and they take it up from there, it's wrong. And then if they take it up on your shoulder where they're supposed to, if the bloke don't know what you're doing properly, it spoils your jacket. Bloody oasis. So, the, the, you know, you're not going to see the end of that. No. I will tell him, though. I see, I see him every now and then coming out of Tesco's. <laughs> I think, well, I need to go and hang out in this area. When you see him, is that Nolan Liam? No. Oh, oh. I, 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 I think he's great, like a brilliant songwriter and everything. But I, I love the fact that he's a big Pistols fan. I think that's great. And he always kind of, he always says good things about about the band and, and yeah. And so the we, songs we, and all we, the rest like people, we like people who like us a bit, you know. So. Yeah. And talk about how you like. I don't know if, if if you were familiar, or whatever. I always heard that um, I'm a big fan of the Sensational Alex Harvey band. Oh, me too. Me too. Right. Okay. I, I, I served them in Malcolm McLaren's shop once. They came in and I had to throw them out because Malcolm thought they were tax inspectors, believe it or not. <laughs> I had to make them go to the pub and come back again a bit later on. Chris Glenn, the bass player, he used to buy his day glow socks from Malcolm McLaren's Let It Rock Teddy Boy shop. And I, I went to see him a lot. I, I saw him from like playing um where the uh, ground in fulham which was a pub um with maybe about 20 or 30 people there i saw on kensington town hall when there was 13 people there and it got raided by the police and me and my mates had to leave to get the last bus and by the time we'd gone down the stairs and they'd gone up with their truncheons out there would have been more police than audience and then i saw them at where um headlining they'd had a hit with delilah by then and they was doing Hammersmith odia saw him at reading when i opened up with faith healer for the first time yeah i liked him i played got some remarquee when they brought out big bug mckenna's brass section 10-piece brass section did um i just want to make love to you which goes on for seven and a half minutes uh-huh. yeah a big alex harvey fan and they was one of the few bands around like faces Maybe the Spiders from Mars, T-Rex, Dolls, Alex Harvey Band. You know, you know there was something about them. I, I think all the Pistols like the way, you know, there was Alex and Zhao and Chris Glenn sort of just stood there sort of staring people out. We, we kind of sort of picked up on that a bit. I haven't spoken to you about this before because I'm a gigantic Alex Harvey fan. The, guy, the drummer Ted McKenna um, taught me drums since I was really wee um, and Zal Clemenson um, we were in a band called Zal Clemenson Sin Dogs um, oh you was in Sin Dogs okay right yeah I never actually saw them I kept missing, missing them but yeah it's a good point I, in fact I took when they did Alex Harvey without Alex with that guy who was Mr E or whatever his name was doing it I took Chris Spedding down to see him and he okay. didn't really know that much about um them but he thought yeah it was pretty good but spedding did tell me that spedding was in the stage musical hair in the orchestra pit well and his depth for when he didn't do it was alex harvey played yeah, the guitar I, I know you did, you did that. it's phenomenal i'm so i'm honestly i'm so glad that you're a fan Zal Clevenson, what a guitar player he is. Yeah, great. 
You pulled all the right faces and all. I pulled all the faces. There we go. I tell you what, I can't wait to send them this. I can't wait to send them this because that's that's no, uncanny. Okay. I've remained Zal. You was a big part of my youth, so there you go. I will be because again, and we we talk all the time, and I'm 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 sure he'll be delighted with that. But no, great band. I can't believe you've seen them in red, and I've heard so much about that. Ted told me the story, which I can't say on a podcast. I'll tell you another time about the story what he did the night before he played the headline the Red Festival. So I'll I'll get in trouble if I tell the story. Of Ted right. McKenna, sadly no longer with us. But I will, I will tell you off here. When you're in Scotland and I buy you a latte, I'll tell you the story, right? But no, I'm oh, delighted to I, will, I will hold you to that, yeah. Absolutely. Um, right, okay, going through a bunch of stuff here. We're, we're covering so much, it's great. I want to talk to you about Carol Kay, right? Now, I'm, I'm, this, is my, this is my claim to fame. I've been in Carol Kay's house and I played her bass, right? Because oh, I interviewed yeah. her and just can't believe it. Um, the, and this is somebody I worship. You're a fan of Carol Kay, right? I'm a fan of Carol Kay and I'm a fan of James Jameson as well. So, and in my mind, they sort of covered most of the sort of top pop music in the 60s and onwards. Yeah, so. I remember the guy called Cam Malone is a brilliant bass player from up here as well. He played Nasdaq Camry, he said to me, you listen, you know, he told me when I was 17 or something, he says, have you heard of Carol Kay? And I said, no, I said, you don't know anything. You need to go and listen to Carol Kay because she's on everything. Um, and again, when I read that you, that you were a Carol Kay fan, I thought it was great. I thought I'll need to talk to you. We'd actually, <clears throat> if you want to, we could try and do a podcast because she's been on here a couple of times. So we could try and get you. Uh, oh, okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she's going to tell me a thing or two, you know. So. A, a sex on, on the same podcast, that, that would be, that would, you know, that will yeah. melt in, doesn't it? But I like girl bass players. I'd, I'd like Tina Weymouth's good. Um, I used to like, there was a girl called Sarah Lee that played with the Gang of Four. She was kind of good. Um, there's a few others and all, but I can't quite think of them. There's Simone who's in Primal Screen, but I'm a bit annoyed with her because I quite fancy that gig. <laughs> Did you not do a gig with them? Pardon? Yeah, I did a thing. I, I play. I, I, they're sort of mates of mine, you know. I sort of see Bobby out and about, and Andrew lives around the corner. I see him taking his kids to school sometimes. Um, but when I was on Creation, they asked me to play on a track, and I played on Medication on the Vanishing Point record, I think it is. In fact, I've got a gold record for that on the wall. Never paid me. It gave me a gold record. I could have done with the money at the time. Um, but there, there was some last-minute... Um, uh, benefit concert at Brixton Academy ten years ago now or more for some I think it was for Haiti or something and um, they decided to do it and Manny's mum had passed away and he'd already booked to go and let us steam in LA and they asked me to do it so I, I did it and then we've done a couple of other things together since then we had this band we did one gig once great lineup me Zach Starkey on drums hello Andrew, Little Barry, and Bobby. Um, and we did all covers, like MC5 and the Trogs and stuff like that. And it's like a, it's a band that will live forever. And it's got a great name, the Sil We're the Silver Machine. <laughs> great. So we keep threatening to reform, but you know. I've got to ask you this, right, because this has been one thing I've, I've kind of taken a mental note of, and I thought, I'll need to ask Glenn this. Is there any truth 
to the fact the Sex Pistols playing at Caesar's Palace. Is there any truth to this nearly happening? Them contacting no, you? No, no. What, what, happened, what happened was in '96 when we reformed, we had to think of somewhere to do a live album. And Steve Jones had, I thought, a fantastic idea. You know, and he likes Elvis and all that kind of swank kind of stuff. And um, he suggested we play, it's, we recorded live at Caesar's Palace. I mean, imagine the Sex Pistols live at Caesar's Palace and all the great graphic. And we contacted them and it's like the mob and they didn't want us. And, they, and there's some telegram somewhere that says, no, we do not want you and please do not recommend your friends either. <laughs> you know, it's all, it isn't, but it's almost oh, yeah. like the mob, you know. Oh. But that would have been great. Sex Pistols Live at Caesar Palace. And I went up many years ago, and I thought this was a great idea when we were trying to think of different places to play. I said to Mark McLaren, this is like early 76, why don't we play at the talk of the town? Like Sex Pistols, and Malcolm went, no, yeah, no. And, you know, and it, I don't think we could have quite brought pulled it off of that stage, but it would have been a great one to the Sex Pistols Live and the talk of the town. Oh, brilliant. Mason Malcolm a couple of times, like a controversial character. Was he a smart guy? Yeah. Yeah, he was a, some kind of, saw himself as an Arjun provocateur about this, that and the other. Yeah, but when he was in with Malcolm, he was in with him. When he weren't, he was out. So I've, I've got mixed feelings about him. But... You know, I don't think anybody would have heard of the Sex Pistols if it wasn't for him. But I don't think anybody would have heard of him if it wasn't for the Sex Pistols. So we had like quite a symbiotic relationship. Well, I think it has been phenomenal, as usual. Absolutely brilliant. This is part three, and it's part three of many, because we've got more to talk about. We need to do a podcast, and you heard the gift first, everyone. I'm going to try and get Glenn Matlock and Carol Kane in the same podcast. I'm also going to try and get Glenn Matlock and Zal Clemenson on the same podcast. How do you fancy that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm up for that. So you can find Glenn, glennmatlock.co.uk for all the up-and-coming tour dates, the UK and perhaps beyond. Check out glennmatlock.co.uk for all that information. And as I said earlier, Glenn's on Twitter and Instagram. You'll see the Instagram right now if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on all of the platforms, at Glenn Matlock, one, digit one. Yeah, and, and Facebook as well. So. Absolutely. I try and cover control. every an angle, but I don't understand what TikTok is. I thought it was the noise that the clock made. So. You'll be on that the next time, I'm sure. Thank you very much, Glenn Matlock. <laughs>
and we'll see you next time. A lot of great guests coming up. Very excited.